Hi there. Welcome to all of you who are part of the Journey Church family. Welcome to you too, you Glendivians out at the bridge in glorious Glendive. It is a fantastic privilege for all of us to be together today. Last week we launched this 10-week experience that we call Life Hurts, God Heals, kind of with a bang. All of you who are leading groups and all of you who are participating in small groups already, I want to say, way to go. Nice going. There's 40-some groups across the Journey Church family that are up and running, and I hope and I pray and I'll bet that that'll increase after this weekend. And I got some feedback from some people who were first-time small group participants this week, their very first-ever small group experience, and they said that it was fun, they said that it was good, and they said that they were very glad that they stepped outside of their usual realms of comfort and uh, took the plunge into a small group experience. So way to go, all of you who did that. Now... Some of you are still sitting on the small group fence, I know, and you're wondering, should I get into a small group or not? Do I really want to subject myself to that level of intimacy? Is a small group safe? You're wondering. And I want to challenge you and maybe prod you off of the fence because it's never comfortable to sit on a fence. And as you move uh, down a fence line, if you think about a fence being life, you might hit a fence post and then it really is uncomfortable if you know what I mean. And I'm sure you do. Let me just prod you off of the fence and just say, uh, trust me, a small group is safe. A small group is a fantastic experience and you want to squeeze this whole deal for all that it's worth. So go, just pick a group and attend and try it. You can sign up to be a part of a group out with some folks in the lobby after the service. They'd be delighted to help you with all of that. Can I indulge you with a slice of life from the Hopkins Family Chronicles? May I? Uh, we just got back, those of you who don't know, from Ethiopia uh, two weeks ago uh, with adopt- from adopting three kids. Joshua's 14, Silas is 14, Malia is 10. Uh, that added three children to the four homemade ones that we already had. And uh, well, wouldn't you know it, bless Silas's heart, he got chicken pox this week. Uh, last Saturday morning, uh, I went into his room and he's pointing to like this, what looked to me like an ordinary rash sort of all over his face. He lifted up his shirt. He's got it all over his trunk, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know what that is. And, uh, he just sort of continued to press on with life. He wasn't complaining about it. He didn't have a fever or anything. Uh, he said they itched a little bit, but, uh, that was all right with him. And we went to the doctor on Monday morning, and the doctor did confirm it is indeed chicken pox. Uh, we were shown the back door when we left the doctor's office that day. I was like, what, what, what? Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I see. And I was like, Silas, welcome to America. You have chicken pox. Sweet. Uh, Silas and Josh played their very first soccer game last Sunday. It was a hoot, especially seeing Silas run around the field, contaminating all the other children with chicken pox. Uh, I'm sorry. If your children uh, got it from Silas, but, you know, we did you a favor. You only get it once in your life. Now you have it, and that'll be the end of it. Josh, Silas, and Malia, all three new kids, they started school this week. Josh and Silas, they're eighth graders over at the big CJ Middle School. And what a fantastic place that is. What a fantastic staff, all the teachers, all the students, just warmly welcomed our two new sons. Uh, They tell me every day that they really like school. Malia, she started in fifth grade over at the big Hawthorne School, Mrs. Hayden's class, and they too over at Hawthorne did a splendid job of enfolding and embracing, and really these little fifth graders going out of their way every single day to serve and embrace and help acclimate Malia uh, to life in American school. As you could imagine, we're doing a lot of laughing 
at our place these days. You consider the language barrier and our feeble attempts at sign language. And lots of times in the car is where it most often happens. Uh, Josh and Silas, they'll carry on a long conversation in Amharic. It's their native tongue. And uh, I'll just sort of interject near the end of the conversation or when it's sort of wound down. I'll just blurt out, I don't understand what you're saying. And they just kind of look at me like, what? And then I say, I don't, I don't understand. And they're like, okay, yeah, all right. So then they sort of uh, string together a few English words to try to explain to me what it was they were saying in Amharic. And uh, they're lying. <laughs> I, I know they're lying. They tell me that they're talking about something that happened at school that day. And I'm like, yeah, right. You're talking about me and mom, aren't you? You're talking all about us. I am on to you. And uh, dinner time, as you could imagine, is a very humorous time. The kids, the new kids, they're all quite brave eaters. They'll try almost anything, but much of our food they just don't like. It's uh, gross to them. Uh, They do like whipped cream, however, in case you're wondering. Uh, We have one of those, uh, like, coffee shop whipped cream dispensers, you know, where you unscrew the lid and you put the whipping cream down in there and the powdered sugar and the vanilla, and then you shake it all up, and then you put the CO2 cartridge. It's kind of like a science experiment. I love making it. And then you shake it all up, you know, and then, right, you know what I'm talking about. Well, sometimes I'll just pull it. I've done this for a long time. I'll pull, just pull it out of the refrigerator and just walk around the house and find uh, one of our children and just tell them to tip their head back, open their mouth, and just fill it up. Some of you right now are going, that is a terrible father. You should not do that. But they're kids and they love it, right? So I've done that several times since Josh and Malia have been home, you know, just tip. The, the first time I did it, they're like, well, what, is this medicine? You're like, no, just open your mouth. They're like, I don't know. You know, and it's a whole mouthful of whipped cream goodness. And uh, well, Malia, uh, the other night at dinner, she's kind of a schemer. We're eating Mexican food, you know, and so there is a tub of sour cream on the table and uh, the Costco tub, just in case you're wondering. And uh, we're using it for our Mexican food. Some of us are. And Malia, she's like, I'm going to get my brother. And so she takes a spoonful of that sour cream. And she somehow convinces Josh that it is a spoonful of whipping cream. Uh, she's talking to him in Amharic and says, uh, you should eat this. And he's like, oh, okay. I like whipped cream. You know, he's like, it's a little unusual. I'm eating it in the middle of my meal. But, and so he... He expects a a mouthful of whipped cream goodness and instead gets a mouthful of sour cream grossness. And he was not a happy camper, but it made for a very humorous bit at the dinner table. And uh, you all have bad days, I know. It, It just happens, right? If the day is ever so bad and you just need a really good laugh, we invite you just to stop by our house. Just swing in for any bit of time and just sort of stand back and observe and we'll do our very best to put on a comedic bit for you as we do life and bring a smile to your face if we can. Seriously, just stop by. Page six, got your study guide, hold it up if you would. Show me that you brought, whoa, way to go, good job. Page six in your study guide, if you didn't get one, you can get one in the back. If you just happen to forget yours this week, tough luck, bring it next week. If you would, the bouncers will not give you another one. Page six. Hold on, he's telling me something. Oh, great, great. Uh, they're telling me that, that Wyatt McLean, I'm sorry to do this. Wyatt McLean is ill back in the kids' ministry and needs some parent attention. So uh, we're all going to watch while Wyatt's parents get up and go attend. No, really, we'll just press on. Page six in your study guide while Wyatt McLean's parents go to help their precious young son. Page six. 
is where we are. And last week we started this experience by talking about three of God's promises to us right out of the book of Isaiah. Sorry, my bad, misprint in your books. It's Isaiah 57, 18, and 19, not 17 and 18, my bad. And here's what God's word says, verses 18 and 19, Isaiah 57. I have seen how they acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them, and I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all, both near and far. I will heal my people. And we focused in on three promises from that passage. God says, when you're hurt, I'm going to heal you. First promise. God says, when you're confused, I'll lead you. Promise number two. And God says, when you're helpless, I will help you. Promise number three. And that's what we talked about last week. And this week I got some feedback, both uh, in person and via email, from some people who asked a very pertinent question to this whole conversation. They said, Brian, I hear exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what God's promises are. I'm not saying I'm doubting God, but why haven't I ever felt God's healing? Why haven't I ever felt God's healing? Why haven't I ever felt God's leading? Why haven't I ever felt God's help? What in the world is the deal with that? And I just have to say that honestly, there's been a whole bunch of times in my own life when I've asked those exact same questions of God. Many, many times I felt like God was absolutely nowhere near me whatsoever, let alone healing, leading, and helping me, right? At times, many times, I felt like my prayers, they were just bouncing right off the ceiling and never even making it to God's ears. At times, I felt like God was cold and distant and even, watch this, aloof, strong word, I know, from the pain and from the difficulty and from the distance that I was in the midst of in that moment. But the crux word, it seems, in all of that is the word feel, isn't it? The word feel. That was just how I felt. It didn't necessarily represent the reality of God's activity, the reality of his availability, the reality of his working in me and on me. Because get this, those promises that God made all the way thousands of years ago in Isaiah chapter 57, they've stood the test of time. Thousands of years. They are indeed true. God's delivered upon them over and over and over again. And he's continuing to deliver on them in your life, whether you feel it or not. He's in the process of delivering on all three of those promises. Because they're rooted and they're founded in who he is. They're rooted and founded in the very nature of God himself. Who God is at his very core. And they stand whether we feel like they're standing or not. Just because we don't feel like God's healing us doesn't mean that he isn't. Just because it doesn't feel like God's leading us doesn't mean that he isn't. Just because it doesn't feel like God's helping us does not mean that he isn't. See? And what this all boils down to, where this all ends up, where this all lands, is an issue of trust, is it not? It all lands in an issue of trust. Lots of you know the story in Genesis chapter 12 of a guy named Abram. He later had his name changed to Abraham. You might know him better by that name. And God tells him one day, Abram, you're going to leave your native country. You're going to leave your relatives. You're going to leave your father's family. And you're going to, what? Go to the land that I will show you. Imagine that. So Abram, he went and he rented a U-Haul and he backed it up and he starts loading up all of his belongings into it. And the neighbors, they started to stop by and ask, "Uh, Abram, where are you going? He didn't have an answer except for, I don't know, 
God just told me I'm supposed to go. Now imagine that happened to you. You wake up one day, God whispers into your soul, go. And you're like, where? God says, just go. I'll show you where. All right, so you go to the U-Haul place, you get a U-Haul truck, you back it up into your driveway, and you start loading up yours and your family's belongings into it, and your friends and family and neighbors start stopping by, asking you where you're going. What do you say? God told me to go. I don't know exactly where. Your friends and your family and your neighbors, they think you're crazy, right? And so imagine... You're Abram, and you sit yourself into the seat, the driver's seat of the U-Haul, and you start the engine, and you put it into drive, and which way do you go, left or right? You just go. And that's Abram's story. And the only thing he had to go on was God's promise, I will show you. And there was a whole package of promises that God made to Abram in that scenario. He promised Abram that his people would be a blessing. Abram didn't even have people. But God says, your people will be a blessing. God says, you will be made famous, you and your people. You will be blessed, you and your people, by God. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abram. He's like, I, I can't even conceive a kid. What, what in the world am I, how's this going to work? All he had to go on was trust. There was no map of the final destin- to the final destination. There was no contract. There was no picture of the end game. Trust was all he had to go on. Trust that the God of the universe was going to deliver on his promises as he had over and over and over again in the past. And Abram went for it. Abram trusted. He went. And that is unwavering trust isn't it? And that level of trust, that unwavering trust is a very rare commodity in today's seeing is believing world that we live in. The kind of trust that was demonstrated by Abram and so many other heroes of the faith, it's just that. It is absolutely heroic. And think about your life and think about the number of times that the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ has fallen across your life in the form of failure or rejection or abandonment or betrayal or unemployment or loneliness or depression or the loss of a loved one or even addiction or when we are so dead to every sound except the cry of our own pain and when the world around us is nothing but hostile, nothing but menacing, nothing but against us, it's then in our deep deepest moments of anguish, when we cry out to God, how could a supposedly loving and well-intending God have let that happen and that happen and that happen and that happen? And it's then in those moments of anguish and despair when the seeds of distrust are sown into our souls, right? And some of that has come to be because, see, there's some streams of Christianity that propagate a view of the gospel and a view of God that portrays God as merely the giant blessing dispenser in the sky, almost like a vending machine that vends nothing but blessings see. If I give the right amount of money to this church or that leader or that ministry, then God will just, I can just expect that God's just going to dispense blessings upon me and my life and my family's life. Or if I serve God in this way or that way in this certain ministry that the blessing dispenser, God, the blessings come. Or that just because Jesus died for my sin, I am completely and my family is completely free of any ailment or illness that might befall me. But then here's what happens. Trouble comes and difficulty comes and illness comes. 
either on us or those we love, and there goes our trust in God right out the window, we doubt then his abiding presence and his care and his ability and intent to keep his promises because our view of God was inaccurate. We saw him as just a giant blessing dispenser when he is anything but the giant blessing dispenser. And it leaves us doubting God and who he is to his core. But as Brennan Manning says, faith in Jesus Christ requires heroic trust in the goodness and love of God no matter what happens to us. No matter what happens to us. No matter what, heroic trust, good times, bad times, light days, dark days, heroic trust in the love and goodness of God. Augustus Gordon, he's a guy who lives as a hermit for about six months of the year, deep in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee in a solitary cabin. The rest of the year he spends traveling the United States preaching the gospel on behalf of a ministry called Food for the Poor. It's an outreach that feeds the hungry and homeless in Haiti, Jamaica, other Caribbean islands, and so on. And one day, Gus's friend, Brendan Manning, asked him, Gus, could you please boil down, could you please define, please synthesize the Christian life into a single sentence? Gus didn't even blink before he responded, Brendan, I can define it in a single word, and it's this, it's trust. Christianity all boils down to trust. Nothing more, nothing less. Trust. And we're here because we want to figure out how to get free from the pain of this life and how to be free from the habits that hold us captive and how to be released from the hang-ups that cause us and so many other people around us great pain. But if we ever hope to figure that out, we must, without reservation, trust God with our whole selves. Without reservation. No reservation. Our whole selves, plunging ourselves into the trust of God, into his care, into his promises, with childlike abandon. Those of you with kids know that most of the time, our kids trust their parents almost without question, right? Um, uh, Just think about this. You've probably done this if you have children, is you scoop up your young son or daughter, and you grab them, and you throw them as high as you. Have you done this? As high as you can. And our kids, they let us do that. You believe that. And it's usually a hard surface underneath and they just trust that I'm going to go up and then I'm going to come down and mom or dad is going to catch me, right? Our kids will almost sometimes blindly leap off high obstacles, maybe a fence or something. They'll be up there toddling about and then they'll just sort of flush Superman right off the top of the fence just trusting we're going to be in just the right place at just the right time to keep them from splatting on the hard surface known as the ground. Our kids, they'll dive into the deep end of the swimming pool trusting that we'll be in the water and we'll keep them from inhaling half of the swimming pool into their lungs and from being completely immersed under the water. They trust, almost recklessly trust. And this trust in God and who he is and what he's about and up to and wants to do in our lives is just like our children jumping off of the diving board into the deep end of the pool and trusting that mom or dad is going to be there to make sure that they don't drown. It's a lot like this, actually. Watch this.
if you, sitting in this room today, could trust God enough to plunge entirely into him with that same level of childlike abandon? What if you could line up behind Abram and behind all the other heroes of the Christian faith, folks like are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and say with them, I don't have all of the answers. I don't see exactly where this God road is leading me. I don't know what exactly, I don't have any idea, as a matter of fact, what's around the next bend, but I'm going to trust in God's unfailing and God's enduring love for me, and I'm just going to plunge in. Just like that little guy did, right off the end of the diving board, trusting. Trusting. What if you today, what if you could get to that very place? What do you think God might do in your life to free you up from your hurts, to free you up from your habits, to free you up from your hang-ups, if you would simply trust him with your all, holding nothing back, plunging headlong into him? God, I am all yours. See, for Jesus Christ in his day when he was walking around planet Earth live and in the flesh, people were asking him this question a lot. How do we bring about the kingdom of God as fast as we can? It was the biggest deal Jesus talked about. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Everyone, it was the buzzword of the day. Everyone wanted to know. So how do we bring this about? And Jesus answered their question, but not with the answer that they were expecting or maybe even hoping for. It was trust. You bring about the kingdom of God by trusting In our day, today, the dominant discussion is how do I deal with the mess that is my life? What do I do with me, about me? How do I get myself freed up from this pain and these habits and these hang-ups? And the answer today for you and I is just the same as it was when Jesus was walking planet Earth and people were asking him, how do you bring the kingdom of heaven? How do you bring the kingdom of God? To you and I, when we ask the question, what do I do with this mess that is me? Jesus says to us, trust. We trust. And Jesus doesn't merely ask us to trust God. He quite bluntly demands it of us, saying in John 14, verse 1, trust in God. Trust in God. And sometimes in this Christianity deal, we almost make this trust deal out to be some fringe thing when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to our relationship with him. But that is so far from the case. Trust is at the heart. Trust is at the center of all that it means to follow Jesus, all that it means to be his child. Trust. And as I stand before you today, I have a confession to make to you. That my trust in God is being tested more than it has in a very, very long time. You might know this about me, that I'm not a uh, lay-awake-at-night kind of guy. The Lord, uh, fortunately, for a very long time, has blessed me with great nights of sleep, which is fantastic, because I don't know how I'd function, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't sleep good at night, you, you have no idea how you'd make it through a day. Well, while we were in Ethiopia picking up our three new kids, I began waking up every night at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's happened several nights since we've been home. And I wake up at 2 a.m. It started in Ethiopia with this haunting thought. It was this. We have seven children. (laughs) Hopkins, what are you doing with seven? When Dan and I started, when we got married, I said I was going to have maybe two kids. And now we have seven. What in the world are you thinking, Hopkins? 
And what would play through my mind and heart over and over and over again was all the awful things that could happen to any and all of our children. I'd imagine all the bad things that they could get into. I imagine scenarios where all of our kids hated me and hated Dana and hated God. I imagine stuff that was literally so bleak that it was causing my heart to almost beat right through my chest. And that's fine if that happens when I'm at home, right? But when it was doing it when I was in Ethiopia, I was like, Hopkins, you got to stop this because you do not want to seek medical attention in Ethiopia. Believe me, I need my heart to be just fine and stay right in there. And see, what I want to know and what we all want to know is that everything is going to be all right, don't we? I want to know that all seven of our kids that are never going to have trouble, that they're never going to cause anyone, anyone, least of all me or Dana, any pain, that they're going to walk with God all of their days and be kingdom of God bringers with their whole lives, their whole beings. I want absolute, maybe you do too, absolute clarity from God so that I can eliminate any risk of putting all my trust in him, all my eggs in the God basket. I want to eliminate that risk. I want to see the end. I want to know the outcome. I want to eliminate any risk whatsoever of me plunging headlong off of that diving board, just like a child, into the arms of my waiting Heavenly Father. That's what I want. My fear of the unknown path of our children's lives, all their twists, all their turns, all their ups and all their downs that they will definitely take is squashing any ability I have to plunge headlong into trusting God, relying on Him, believing in His goodness and His love and His ultimate care for our family. And here's what we think. We think real often that our trusting in God will somehow cast all of the confusion aside, make all the dark places light, clear up the uncertainty, make everything neat and tidy and predictable and good, and that's from our vantage point of what's good, but it never works that way. Even the trust deal, even the faith deal never works that way. Even our absolute headlong plunging trust in God will not make all the uncertainty clear. Manning says it this way. Trust does not still the chaos. Trust does not dull the pain. Trust does not provide a crutch. When all else is unclear, the heart of trust says, just like Jesus did when he hung on the cross, dying for you, dying for me, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus said. His ultimate statement of trust. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, God, I commit the outcome of our kids' lives and their whole future. Into your hands, God, I commit the pain that I endure every day. Into your hands, God, I commit the habits that are chaining me to a future that I don't want and a future that I never would have chosen if I had it to do over again. Into your hands, God, I commit the hang-ups that are wreaking havoc on me and everyone else around me. Into your hands, God, I let myself plunge fall headlong like a child who is plunging off of a diving board into the deep end of the swimming pool, trusting, believing that mom or dad is going to be on the other side to make sure that everything is as it should be from God's perspective. Into your hands, God. And see, for as long as human beings have been, we've been looking for wholeness, we've been looking for happiness, we've been looking for relief And we've been looking in all the wrong places 
Sounds like a country song or something. We've been trying to mend ourselves through the means that don't have a prayer of really mending us. But God says, get this, folks. There's only one person and there's only one place who can give tested and proven, absolutely going to work healing from our hurts, from our habits and our hangups. And it's in me, God says. It's nowhere else. Everything else is a fake. Everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else is just temporary. It might alleviate the pain for a little bit, but it'll come back. God says, I'm your source. I'm it. It's in me. Diving headfirst into any other swimming pool, but God's looking for relief is as silly as diving headfirst into an empty swimming pool, and we know how that goes. And just to drive this point home, God gives us two more promises from Isaiah 57, 18 and 19. Tucked away in there. The fourth one is this. If you feel alone, God says, I'll comfort you. If you feel alone, I'll comfort you, God says. Number five, if you feel anxious and afraid, God says, I'll offer peace to you. He'll comfort you and he'll offer peace to you. See, when we trust God enough to plunge headlong into him, he says, when you're alone, I'm going to be your source of comfort. When you feel anxious and afraid, I promise, I promise, I promise that I will be your source of peace. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to look anywhere else. You don't have to scratch around anywhere else. Me, God says. Starting next weekend, we're going to be unpacking God's principles for, get this, happiness from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, from the Gospel book of Matthew, chapter 5. Some people refer to that teaching as Jesus' Beatitudes. And the crux of Jesus' teaching through those eight Beatitudes is that happiness can be ours, but that the pathway to the happiness that God intends for you and for me might not be along the same pathway that we would expect. From a conventional viewpoint, those eight statements Jesus makes in Matthew 5, they don't even make sense. For some of us, they might even seem like quite stinging contradictions. But when we understand them the way Jesus intends for them to be understood and lived out and walked out moment by moment, they're really it when it comes to God's pathway for wholeness, growth, change, spiritual maturity. That's the endeavor we're embarking upon together. And I tell you that because over the course of the next eight weeks together, you might have moments of feeling alone. I'd imagine there's some of you who are sitting here today, some of you within the hearing of my voice today, who are feeling very, very alone right now. You might have moments of feeling very, very anxious and afraid as we begin to process and digest some of this material. There's going to be moments where all of us are going to be faced with crossroads and we'll have a choice to make. Am I going to obey Jesus on this? Am I going to follow him on this? Or am I going to continue to do the stuff that's chaining me up? And that might bring anxiety and fear right to the surface of your life. And God says, that's all right. That's all right. You are not alone. And I am in the process of bringing you comfort. I am in the process of bringing you peace. I am working in you. God promises all of us as we plunge headlong into him, toward the healing of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, that he is and will continue to be our loving heavenly father. And he is there. He is there, right underneath the diving board, waiting to catch us as we trust him, as we plunge headlong into him with our everything. Everything we are, 
and everything we hope to be on the other side of this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him that much? Will you take that study guide and set it aside? Just move into a posture of prayer and listening, if you would. I just invite you to get alone with the Lord. This is your time with him. Do that now, if you would. Could I ask you just to stay in this posture of listening and prayer in these next moments? Just make this your time with God. And I don't know exactly where you are on the trust spectrum with God, whether you're a zero or whether you're a ten. I I honestly have no idea. But if there's issues with you and your trust in God, would you just talk to him about those in this time? Just tell him. Just be honest with him. Just tell him where you're at with the trust deal. And maybe today for some of you, it's become real clear the truth of God's love for you, His making a way through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, so that you could live forever with Him, not just in heaven, but starting right here, right now. And maybe it's the desire of your heart today to take that first step of trust in Him for your eternal destiny, where you'll spend forever after this life is over. And if that's you, I just invite you to declare that decision to the Lord. Just tell him you're putting your full faith and trust in him. You're trusting Jesus as your savior. You can do that by praying along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes something like this. God, I know that you love me. And I thank you so much for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. I know that I've introduced damage into our relationship, God. And today I realize how perfect you are, how holy you are. And that my sin has introduced that damage. And God, I declare to you that I believe with everything in me, in great trust, that because of your love, Jesus died on the cross for that sin, to bridge that divide, to heal that damage. And I ask you to please, by Jesus' death, forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me. Starting today, right now, God, I want you to be my friend. I don't want to live at odds with you anymore. I want you to be my friend. I want you to change me. I want you to begin to clean my life up, please, and set me on a course, God, of trusting you for the rest of my days. And that decision is the biggest one of your whole life if you chose to pray with me just then. So big that around here, we ask people to tell us when they make that decision. And nobody's going to embarrass you. This is a you and me thing. No one's looking around this room but me. If you prayed with me just then to ask Jesus to be your Savior, if you trusted him with your eternal destiny, would you be so bold right now just to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? Just do that right now. Just say, yes, I prayed with you, both of you, right there. Way to go. 
and you right there, and you there, and you back there, and right both two of you right there. Make sure I catch your eye, and you back there, way in the back, way to go, and one, two, three of you right over there, way to go, and you right there, two of you, I see you right here up front. God's changing all of you right there, yes, way to go. Way to take that first step of trust in Him. God, we know that our faith most days is lacking. And so, Lord, we need you to be our strength and to fill in those faith gaps, please, God. Give us the faith we need to plunge headlong all in to you. Give us the trust that that requires. God, we know it is an enormous deal. But God, you're good and you've proven your goodness time and time and time again. And so we're going to believe. And we're going to put our stock in you and your character, who you are at your core, God. I pray for those in this room who just made a first step of trust in you. That that decision would be quickened in their hearts, that those seeds would set down deep roots in their hearts, God. That their faith would bloom fabulously, God. That as they plunge headlong into you for their eternal, trusting you with their eternal destiny, God, that your abiding presence would encourage them every single day in the good and in the bad, Father. Thanks for loving us that much. We're all yours. All yours. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said, amen.